The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. June 27 edition of PFTPM, day two of the site redesign. And the reaction has been mixed, which is good. The last time we tried to change things over eight years ago, the reaction was uniformly negative, and we quickly switched it back. This time around, though, it's working, it's sticking, people are getting used to it. It's just a matter of getting comfortable with it, and you will. I've gotten used to it. It looks better. It's cleaner. It's easier to read. The rumor mill looks exactly the same as it always did. I see various random criticisms that just are spewing talking points that are misguided. Oh, you're pivoting to video. Uh, If you haven't noticed, we've been pivoted to video for about five years now. There's no more real estate devoted to video than there was before. Every story, literally for five years, has had with it a video clip. Every single one. There's been a rail on the site with video clips for years now. This isn't some new groundbreaking strategy to introduce more video. The video has been introduced. The biggest change is the removal of the comments. And how do I put this delicately or appropriately? The reaction from the people who were mad about the comments being gone is exactly what I thought it would be. Loud, profane, and hostile. The reaction from the people who are happy that the comments are gone is exactly what I thought it would be. Reasonable and grateful and relieved that the toxicity is gone. Let me just say this. I was going to mention it earlier in response to a question, because one of the questions is, why do you hate it so much you took the comments away? The epiphany that I had, we had that thumbs up, thumbs down feature that allowed commenters to anonymously give approval or disapproval of someone else's comments. And when there would be a death of someone connected to the NFL, player, coach, former player, former coach, whoever, anybody that was within the NFL ecosystem whose passing justified a story to mention what had happened, express condolences to family, friends, and colleagues, explain how this person fit within the NFL, what they had accomplished, why we're pausing the coverage of the league to mention this person's death, there would be comments expressing condolences, simple, basic expressions of condolences, and people would hit thumbs down. I mean, what, what is that? What's the point of that? What's the purpose of that? What kind of cruelty is lurking in your heart that you press thumbs down because someone's expressing condolences because someone died? And I saw that one time recently, and I and I already knew we were in the throes of moving toward eliminating the comments it's like we don't have to provide the platform for that kind of thinking you can do it anywhere you want somebody dies and you want to go say what you think you want to express some inappropriate viewpoint do it on twitter do it on facebook do it wherever you're not doing it here anymore we're just not doing it and again those who are mad are reacting the way that i thought they would 
those who are happy are reacting the way that I thought they would. And for 22 years now, I've had people huff and puff and threaten to blow the house down and we're going away and we're never coming back. And, and look, anybody that chooses to do that, it's a big world. There's a lot of options out there. We've held our own and grown through 22 years because we provide a one-stop shop for everything that's happening in the NFL. We do plenty of our own reporting. We do a ton of our own analysis. Every story I write, I try to add something to it to explain how it fits within the broader structure of what's happening in the NFL, or I express an opinion about whether it makes sense or doesn't make sense. That's what I've done from day one. Those are the stories that draw my attention. That's what we're going to keep doing. And somebody asked me today, I was on radio in Chicago. I do two spots there a week on WSCR. And, and the question was based on the notion that we had comments during our rise. We didn't. We were seven or eight years in. We had grown. We had arrived before we ever had comments. That was an enhancement because others were doing it. It was kind of like when in Rome, hey, others are doing it. Maybe we should do it too. Improve engagement. Have people decide. It's never been an overwhelming presence. When you compare the number of comments to the number of total clicks we've gotten on stories, it, it's an astronomical difference. So I think it's a very small ecosystem within the broader structure and people will adjust, people will adapt and they'll find other places where they can express whatever views they want to, to put out there, good, bad, or otherwise. We just decided we're no longer providing the template for the kind of stuff that would make me cringe. The notion that someone would click thumbs down and not just one or two, 10, 15, 20 people click thumbs down when someone is expressing condolences because someone died I'm not providing a space for that any longer. All right. Uh, this is a space to talk about what's happening in the NFL. As PFT Live continues to be on hiatus, we are in the second day of week two. I'm going to do four of them this week. My annual physical is coming up on Thursday. Anybody out there on the wrong side of 40, make an arrangement to get a physical every year. It's good to get blood work, stress test, the old prostate exam, although they're in the process of phasing out the traditional prostate exam. And every year that I go back, I think this is the year that they finally decided they're going to just rely on blood testing, the PSA reading, and they're not going to do the, the Moon River routine. Maybe this is the year that, uh, that I'll find out that the Moon River routine has gone the way of the dodo bird. Uh, so uh, anyway, for today, first item I want to mention, and this flows from what I saw on footballzebras.com, the full list of all 17 officiating crews for 2023. All crews, referees, every other position. And it's great. It's broken down by name, position, where they went to college. If it's a former NFL player, it says so. And it, there's also a list of all the jobs that these folks have other than being NFL officials. And we, we've all known that they have other jobs. We know that. I've been for years saying that NFL officials need to be full-time employees. And there are many in the league who agree with that take. And there's an effort by some to try to push back against the, frankly, cheapness by the league. And it is, plain and simple, cheapness. They don't see what they're going to get in return for the money they spend. So they don't want to spend the money. What am I going to get for this? It's not going to change things. It's not going to improve things. We're not going to even notice the difference. Why are we going to spend all this money to make all of our, our officials Full-time employees. So I got an itch back here. I could either wait for 50 minutes or I could just do it now. I feel better. Um, so, <laughs> so see, that's, that's one of the problems of doing it like this. When it's PFT Live and it's two hours, I know there are going to be moments where it's just Sims on a single. So if I got an itch, I can just make sure that it's fine or 
you know, whatever else I need to do. Sometimes you get caught when the camera comes back to you, but in a situation like this, there's no escaping it. It's on the whole time. So anyway, back to what I was talking about. Oh, when you see the list of all the referees, of all the other positions on the officiating crews, and you see the jobs next to it, it really is, wow. And and think about it. Think about it. For those of you out there who have jobs, okay, I got a job. And then I got this other thing that started as kind of a hobby, and it was fun to do. And I was pretty good at it, so... I got more opportunities to do it a little bit more and a little bit more. And no, all of a sudden I'm making money from this hobby and oh, I'm still getting better at it. Oh, and I'm making more money and I have more opportunities. And the next thing you know, this hobby takes on a life of its own, but you still got your other job. And at some point you're, you're spinning plates. And, and I know that a lot of you out there don't know what that means, but they used to do a thing like on the Ed Sullivan show where one of the acts was a guy would spin plates and he'd spin as many plates as he could on a really thin stick, I guess, for lack of a better term. And uh, that's what you're doing with your life. You've got your family life. You've got your primary job. You've got your side job that if you're an NFL official, it's four months out of the year where you're traveling and you're working. And then when you're home, you have to carve out time to do whatever you have to do to be ready for the next week. It, it really doesn't make sense. And and I, I know that there will be a time where the NFL would have no choice but to convert to full-time officials. They are delaying the reckoning as long as they can. And what will happen is there'll be some big shit storm that occurs, some major controversy. And the only way out of it will be for the NFL to say, fine, we'll spend the money for full-time officials. And once we get there, People are going to be like, well, how did we, how did we make it this long without full-time officials? Like, what, what, what were we thinking? It'll be looking like looking back at, you know, an old photo album and saying, "What well, God, I walked around with that hairstyle. Like, I, I, I feel like that's where we're eventually going to be. And it would be so nice if the NFL would just get there before it's forced to go there to choose to get there, to prevent the scandal, the controversy, the whatever it will be that will cause the NFL to finally go with full-time officials. Just make the decision to do it before the worst case scenario happens that forces you to do it because it is currently impossible for full-time employee, people with families, and most people have families, and on top of that, trying to carve out time to be as good as you can be as an NFL official, it just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. And in the story that we wrote earlier today on the new and improved PFT, yeah, I, I laid out what would happen during the season. During the season, you get everybody together in a central location. All the officials live in Dallas or Kansas City or somewhere like that, geographically neutral. And in the middle of the country where, not neutral, because obviously one of your assignments every year, you don't have to travel. You get to work a home Chiefs game or you work a home Cowboys game, if it's Texas, wherever it may be, you have everybody in one place and they fan out for the games. But when they're back in that place, Tuesday, Wednesday, that's when you have everybody in a room together and you go over the, the calls of note from the weekend that was, where there's an effort to try to ensure continuity among the 17 crews, how to properly spot this, spot that, enforce this rule, enforce that rule, what trends are emerging every week, every week, every week, spend the whole day. That's what you're paying them for. They work for you the whole day. So instead of just cramming a couple of hours into reviewing emails and watching film whenever you can find time, it's all day Tuesday. It's all day Wednesday. It's all day Thursday. You have a full calendar for these people as full-time employees who are paid accordingly. Off-season, plenty of things you can do, simulations, tests. Stay in shape. 
work other leagues, work practices, OTAs, whatever the case may be. Keep the saw as sharp as possible. So when football season rolls around, it isn't this, oh my God, I got to get back in football mindset. I've been screwing around with my other job for the last eight months. Now it's time to get ready for football season. And you know, the, the other simple explanation is this. Who else, who else with any job of significance in the National Football League is a part-time employee? Who else? The coaches aren't, the executives aren't, the scouts aren't. Who's a part-time anything in the NFL? You're either all in or you're all out. And the NFL continues to do this because they can. It's cheaper. They don't see the benefit they're going to get from spending the money necessary to have full-time officials, so they won't do it until they have to. I submit to the NFL, you should do it before you have to, because eventually you will have to, and the thing that forces you to do it will be a stain on the game that may not go away quickly. Germany's not going away quickly as a destination for the NFL. Chiefs-Dolphins game, the tickets sold out in 15 minutes. Frankly, I'm surprised it took that long. But when they gave that game to Germany, my thought was, and still is, the league sees Germany as maybe having a higher ceiling than London. That they've possibly saturated and saturate may be too strong of a word because I think they have a long way to go before they ever even saturate England. It still is not a big deal there. For the very ardent and zealous NFL fans, it is. But that's a small, small percentage of the total population. I think in Germany, it's more people. It's more attention. It's more excitement. It's just a bigger deal. And the NFL sensed that right away last year with the Buccaneers-Seahawks game. So, look... They didn't just accidentally drop Chiefs Dolphins into Germany. They didn't flip a coin. There's a reason for everything they do. There's a reason why Germany got Dolphins Chiefs and not London. And if you're a London fan, you're like, hey, we've had these games since 2007. We've, we've kissed a lot of frogs here. It'd be nice to get Prince Mahomes. Well, Germany has shown the NFL, I believe, already that it can be a more robust long-term market for the NFL. Now, look, I don't think anybody in Germany gets a team before anyone in London. I think if it ever happens, it's going to be a division. And it sounds reasonable on the surface, but you start scratching the surface and there's a lot of issues there. If there's enough money in play, those issues will be resolved. But there are a lot of issues that would be associated with having teams in Germany, in London, four teams in Europe. The commissioner suggested for the first time last year it could happen. I feel like it could, it won't be easy. But one thing that makes it easier, intense demand for tickets, intense interest in the sport, intense revenue generated by the NFL by having teams in those other countries. DeAndre Hopkins continues to be unsigned. I posted something today based on the Albert Breer mention from his Monday morning quarterback column that the Browns apparently won't be pursuing Hopkins. And this one caught my interest because you've got Deshaun Watson entering year two of his five-year fully guaranteed contract. And this is a pretty significant year for him and for the Browns. It's time to get a return on this investment. And if Watson wants Hopkins, if he truly wants Hopkins, now look, he said publicly he does. That may just be one of those things you have to say because he's your former teammate. He's your friend. You don't want to come out publicly and say, we're fine without this guy. Now, you know, I was with him for a few years. He doesn't practice all that hard. And 
we've got a good thing going here. We don't need to disrupt it with a new personality, a new presence. We'll be fine. And he's kind of tailed off a little bit in recent years. We'll be good. He's not going to come out and say that. But if what he's saying privately to the team matches what he said publicly and the Browns aren't interested, that's where you say there may be a little pressure point here between Watson and the Browns at a time when it's critical the Browns get more out of Deshaun Watson. Year two of a five-year fully guaranteed contract. And there's not as much pressure on Watson, I think, as there is the people around him. The coaching staff, I think, is under a lot of pressure this year. And if they don't get the most out of Watson this year, there could be a change next year just because ownership will be feeling even more urgent to justify not just the money, but all the draft picks they gave up to get Deshaun Watson. We get so captivated by the five-year fully guaranteed contract and the problems it caused and the Lamar Jackson angle. We don't think about the three first-round picks plus they gave up to get Deshaun Watson. So it was a massive investment. They need a return on it. And if Watson wants Hopkins and the team is saying no, that to me is significant. We won't know the truth because Watson's not going to come out and say, yeah, I just said those things to be nice. Sometimes you just say what you have to say. You don't say what you truly believe. If he truly believes they could benefit from Hopkins and if the Browns don't want him, that's the kind of thing that could be a potential problem. I think Hopkins is waiting for something more than whatever the Titans and the Patriots have offered, waiting for something else to come along. How long will he wait? Will he sign the best offer that he has when training camp opens? Or will he even wait beyond that to see if maybe there's an injury or there's someone who's ineffective and that opens the door for DeAndre Hopkins somewhere else and plenty of veteran players, especially a veteran player with a reputation for not liking to practice probably welcomes the opportunity to miss the early stages of training camp if it comes to that. At least Dalvin Cook, same status as DeAndre Hopkins, been available for multiple weeks, no new team yet. Jets and Dolphins, the teams he mentioned in a recent appearance on Sirius XM NFL Radio when he was asked the follow-up question to the notion that he wants to play for a team that can help him get his hands on a Lombardi trophy. He mentioned the Jets and he mentioned the Dolphins when he was asked that question. The Jets have been gaining momentum as we get closer and closer to camp. And the Jets are a team that I was aware of as a potential destination for Cook weeks before he was actually cut. The Brees Hall angle is why they'd be interested in Cook. We don't know how healthy Brees Hall will be. We don't know if he'll be ready week one. They've said all the right things, but we don't know. We just don't know. It's a lot of eggs to put in one basket. What do they have behind Brees Hall with all the investment that they're making in Aaron Rodgers? And if you could get Dalvin Cook for a reasonable contract and pair him with Rodgers and that passing game and that defense that is very good, that helps the Jets stand out in the AFC East, a very difficult division. And if the Dolphins are the other destination for Cook, there's a net benefit beyond just getting Cook. You're getting Cook if you're the Jets and you're keeping him from the Miami Dolphins. But just like Hopkins, I think Cook is waiting for something better than whatever's out there. And part of it is coming to terms with there may not be anything better than what's out there. We'll see. I expect both guys to sign at some point. But Cook, like Hopkins, could decide to wait, especially at the running back position, because we know guys will get injured. Training camp, preseason, it's inevitable. Someone's going to get injured. A starting running back is going to get injured at some point this year, and it would open the opportunity for Dalvin Cook to get maybe more money than he's currently being offered and more touches, more reps, more of a role. You know, we hear next man up all the time, but if there's somebody out there who's better than the next man up, clearly better than the next man up, and you can plug him in, that's something that 
you would have to assume Cook is factoring into his deliberations as he waits for whatever his next opportunity will be. One last thing before we answer some questions. The Tyreek Hill incident from Father's Day, it's still out there. And some of the early reporting that was so far off the mark has caused people to just not pay attention to it. There was a report that the alleged victim doesn't want to press charges. That caused a lot of people to turn the page. There was a report that the criminal investigation's over. There won't be any charges. That caused a lot of people to turn the page. Well, both of those reports were wrong. There was no reason to ever turn the page. This is an active investigation. That was the report yesterday from the South Florida Sun Sentinel. The Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office has the case. It has the file. It has the evidence, evidence that includes surveillance footage. And there was a comment made in a statement from the state attorney's office that at some point they'll eventually determine which Florida statutes, if any, were violated. Well, most jurisdictions have a statute that prevents people from walking up to other people and hitting them, even if it doesn't knock them out, even if it doesn't bruise them, even if it doesn't cut them, walking up to someone else and hitting them is frowned upon in most jurisdictions. So if there is surveillance footage from the marina in South Florida, where Tyree Kill allegedly approached and struck a 57-year-old man during some sort of altercation, the police report says there were women on a boat that weren't supposed to be there, and that resulted in an argument, and yada, 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 Hill allegedly struck the 57-year-old marina or boat employee. There was an item last week from one of the news channels in Miami that it was actually a situation where Hill wanted to fish from the dock because they throw scraps overboard and there are fish that are hanging around for the scraps. And it's considered a breach of etiquette to try to fish off of this dock where you know it's going to draw the fish in with all of those scraps are thrown over. But Hill insisted on it. And somebody told him to stop. And one thing led to another and Hill allegedly hit the 57-year-old man. And, you know, I say 57. It's like, man, that sounds old. And it's like... Well, shit, I'm 58. It still sounds old. <laughs> 57, 58 for me, from my perspective, now I'm 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 spry. I'm robust. I'm young. I'm, I'm not old. But man, 57 sure sounds old. Just wait. Just wait. If you're not already that age, first of all, you should hope and pray that you eventually will be. That's kind of how it works. You, The alternative is worse. The alternative to making it to 58, trust me, is worse than making it to 58. But when you are 58, and you hear of someone who is 57, you're going to still think, shit, that sounds old. Uh, anyway, we're going to continue to watch the Tyreek Hill situation. It's not over. The alleged victim wants to proceed. I suspect there'll be a civil case at some point. I suspect there will be an NFL investigation at some point. How can you not investigate it if you're the league? They haven't commented on it. How can you not investigate it? You're aware. You're on notice of a criminal probe into whether or not one of your star players, any player, doesn't matter whether it's a star or not, any player accused of hitting someone and potentially criminally charged, the NFL will pay attention at the appropriate time. And what the NFL has learned over the years is the appropriate time is to wait until the criminal case is ended. That's when the NFL will mobilize. And if the alleged victim is sufficiently motivated to pursue charges, presumably that person will cooperate with the NFL. That's one of the keys to a personal conduct policy investigation. You have an alleged victim that doesn't want to cooperate. What can the league do? How do you ever get 
anything beyond whatever you happen to get from law enforcement or a civil case file. You want to be able to talk to the person. If they tell you no, you can't force it. But if they want to cooperate, you just say, come on in. Let's talk. It's one of the reasons why Ezekiel Elliott got suspended. The former girlfriend that didn't sue him, the former girlfriend who couldn't get the authorities in Columbus to pursue charges, she interviewed with the NFL six or seven times. And that fueled their conclusion that she was telling the truth. Elliot wasn't. He got suspended six games back in 2017. So, so it's just something to, to keep an eye on because uh, even though it's not likely to affect Tyree Kill this year, it's something that's going to be hanging out there and it's potentially going to result in a suspension at some point in the future, depending upon the quality of the evidence, how aggressive the NFL is, how motivated the alleged victim is, and whether or not, at the end of the day, the powers that be believe Hill or believe anyone else who may be a witness to the incident. And remember, remember, if they find any violation of the personal conduct policy, the guilty plea from 2015 to choking and punching his pregnant girlfriend becomes an enhancer to the, pen to, to the penalty that would be imposed. They couldn't do anything to him for pre-draft, pre-NFL behavior, but the 2014 revisions to the personal conduct policy made it clear that anything you did before you got to the NFL becomes a factor in determining the punishment if you get in trouble in the NFL. So keep that in mind as well. All right. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Time to answer some questions here. Let me find... I had it. It should be easy to find. All right, here's the tweet, and let's see what we have. PFTPM Posse. If Antonio Brown would have retired without all of his annex and BS, would he most likely be a Hall of Famer based on what he did prior to it all blowing up with the Steelers, then the Raiders, and ultimately the Bucks? I think he's got Hall of Fame numbers. I think he's had a Hall of Fame career. I think he's been a difference maker. But good luck getting a room full of human beings to set aside all of the crap and vote for Antonio Brown. When you have so many other receivers who are generating great numbers and it's hard to emerge from that morass of humanity. And really, he doesn't have any. Well, he does. He does have the Super Bowl win with the Bucks, none with the Steelers. He was a rookie, I believe, the year that they they made it to the Super Bowl and lost to the Packers. But he didn't have much of a contribution that season. But he did win a Super Bowl with the Bucks in 2020. He had great performances. There were five or six straight years where he was the best or one of the best receivers in the game, he'd have a strong Hall of Fame case, a stronger Hall of Fame case without all the other stuff. And the other stuff isn't supposed to matter. It's not supposed to matter. But this isn't some computer that is programmed. This isn't AI that's picking Hall of Famers. These are human beings, and they're going to be influenced by Antonio Brown's behavior and the way things just kind of crumbled in the latter stages of his NFL career. It's not supposed to be that way, but it will be that way when the time comes. Next question. And I can't tell whether this is passive aggressive or not. 
How do you remain unbiased when covering the league? Surely you have formed meaningful relationships over the last two decades, but you never seem to let those personal ties deter you from your pursuit of truth. Is it a conscious effort to remain free from the shackles of bias or does it come naturally to you after doing it for so long? Hey, look, I remember when I went to Steelers training camp for the first time, 2006, and the late Gary Wishard, an agent who was relentless in his effort to represent his clients. And he would call everyone in the media to try to spin things in favor of his guys and, and also spin things to the detriment of other players who were either trying to be signed by the same team or drafted by the same team. I remember he called me after, and he died the day the lockout started in 2011. Uh, but Gary called me after he saw that I had gone to Steelers training camp and he said, don't do it. Don't start getting to know the people in the league because it will affect your ability to still say the things that you need to say. Once you know people, you're going to soften your approach. You're going to pull punches when it's time to say what needs to be said. And I took that to heart. I took it as a challenge. And hey, is it easy to be blunt and candid with my views when there are people out there who I know and who may disagree strongly with my assessment and may not want my assessment to be out there? Yeah, it it's created issues. It's created problems. It's created confrontations. It's prevented me from having people ever show up again on an episode of PFT Live or PFT PM. It makes it harder when on game days, I'm trying to track down certain players or certain teams when there's an a development that compels me to get someone on the phone to explain a key play in a game, a key moment, a key performance. Sometimes I, I bang against that wall and uh, it can be a challenge, but most people respect and understand and appreciate that I got to do what I got to do. And um, yeah, is it easy all the time? No, it's not easy. And the more people you get to know in and around the league, the harder it is. Uh, so I try to acknowledge it. I try to manage it and, um, you know, I'll do saying I'll do respect doesn't get you very far, but you know, we have our favorites. We have the players we like, but if people do things that merit criticism, then we, we have to say, Hey, you know what? We love this guy, but I mean, with Stefan Diggs, we love Stefan Diggs, but whatever went on a couple of weeks ago, wasn't a good look for him or the bills. And you know what? Stefan Diggs far less sensitive about that external criticism than the bills are i know the bills are stung by and concerned by criticism from anyone outside the team very stung and inclined to maybe uh, hold grudges so uh still what are you supposed to do what are you supposed to do my duty is to the audience it always has been it always will be my duty isn't to my sources my duty isn't to nbc my duty is to the audience. And that is first and foremost, that's how we've grown. And that's how we'll continue to endure, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> Hurricane Dave, have you taken any measures to ensure Macy is protected from the bear that has been roaming the property? No, I mean, Jill takes her out front and lets her run around. We take her out back. It's fenced in physically in the back. There's an electric fence in the front. We just hope that her instincts will kick in and she will run from the bear if she sees it, not decide to bark and confront the bear. Although that may make the bear run away. I don't know. 
She just needs to be careful about approaching the bear, especially about approaching bear cubs. We haven't seen any cubs, so that's good. But there are groundhogs that live under the barn, and she was out at the fence out back the other day, and she happened to see one of the groundhogs, and she lost her shit when she saw that groundhog. And that thing just chugged down back into the hole under the barn. So I'd like to think she's smart enough to know that there are things out there bigger than her that maybe she should choose not to bark at, but we'll see. We haven't had a bear sighting in a couple of weeks, but I know that that, that bear is still out there. At court's decision, is there a realistic chance the NFL adopts some of the USFL, XFL rules that seem to be logical improvements to what is currently in place? Well, I hope so. We talked about Sky Judge yesterday and how well it worked to result in a flag being picked up that would have taken a touchdown off the board in one of the playoff games the other night. I hope the NFL sees that it works, how it works, how it can work, and will embrace it. Other things like the XFL's kickoff, why not consider that? I'm a big proponent of alternative overtimes, the two-point conversion shootout that is employed. I love that. It was one of our ideas. When the XFL first came back in 2020, Oliver Luck, who was the commissioner of the XFL, admitted to me that we, 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 we liked your idea and we're using it. And I mean, he also was influenced by the fact that soccer uses the shootout with with penalty kicks. Um, but yeah, there's a way you got to resolve this game. And at some point, there's wisdom in minimizing the wear and tear on the players. Now, two-point conversions back and forth and back and forth adds to the wear and tear, but it's not like having full drives. And now for an NFL playoff game, we're looking at at least two drives in every game, because if there's a touchdown scored on that opening drive, the team that kicked to start overtime gets another opportunity. So at least two drives, maybe three drives, maybe four drives, maybe more drives. Why not do something like what is now done? And I don't follow the USFL and the XFL enough to know what other tweaks are out there, but I think anything that they are doing differently from the NFL is worth looking at. It's worth studying and it's worth the NFL dropping its pride and being willing to say, we saw something that some other league did that we think would be an improvement to what we do. There's an arrogance that needs to be abandoned by the NFL to acknowledge somebody else has something better than we have. And even though we didn't think of it, we're going to use it. You know, th there's, there's a, a bubble of the NFL power brokers and decision makers. And if you're not inside that bubble, they really don't care what you think. And I know that because I have tried to express opinions to folks who have reacted with an attitude that is along the lines of, we don't care what you think. We only care about what we think. And so that would take, I think, a high degree of self-awareness and selflessness by the league to be willing to say, hey, you know what? These other leagues kind of got it figured out. Yeah, we're, we're more than happy to take their rule and adopt their rule and acknowledge to the world that that's exactly what we did. And I can only hope that the league will do that and is constantly looking for any other football rules out there, wherever they come from, college, high school, peewee, wherever, anything that could help the NFL improve, they should always be looking for that. Ben Trunfio, do you think Jalen Hurts will take a step forward or backward this upcoming season? Well, I know the Eagles think he's going to take a step forward, especially as a passer. And there's no reason to think he's all of a sudden going to regress. 
We saw a dramatic jump in year three of his career. Now he's got his financial security and we saw improvement as a passer. I think he only gets better and better. He's got all the intangibles. There was a great item from Dan Pompey, the athletic that gets into what the Eagles saw in him and how he has lived up to everything they believed they were going to get from Jalen Hurts. And I do only think he's going to get better and better. And he also knows that there's no guarantee. There's no entitlement. This is where he's very different from Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz got pissed when the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts. I think Hurts wouldn't think twice about the Eagles drafting and grooming a young quarterback because he understands there's no guarantee. There's no given. It's year to year. And you have to constantly prove yourself worthy of being the starter because they're always going to look for somebody who might be better than you. So your only avenue is to make yourself better and better and better at what it is that you do. Lee Dale UK has a question that I'm not prepared to answer because I don't know, but it's something worth mentioning. With the potential of European teams, how will the NFL handle operating in different countries with regards to labor laws and other employment issues? I, I, I don't know. I know that questions have emerged about tax rates, exchange rates, what you would do with the salary cap. Would you give more cap space to teams in London to account for that? It's a different existence. Now, when a player leaves home for a road game, in many cases, in most cases, it's leave Saturday back Sunday night. There are exceptions. West Coast teams that have back-to-back -back games at their request on the East Coast will stay for a week. But road trip for a London team is going to be three weeks in the U.S. Base of operations somewhere in the eastern portion of the country. That's where they'll practice. That's where they'll stay. That's where they'll live. And they'll play multiple games in the U.S. before going home. That's a long time for the family members who never signed up to be in London or Germany to be stuck in other countries. That's, that's one of the things where the NFL's desire to expand to other countries, the desire to chase the almighty Euro, that... that at some point needs to take a back seat to the impact it's going to have on the human beings who are your players. And I wonder if it will cause draft picks to say, no, thank you. I'm not going to London. I'm not going to play for the London team. I'm not going to play for the Germany team. Will it cause players to insist on no trade clauses to London and Germany? Wouldn't that be an interesting development? We currently see no trade clauses generally. What if there's a specific no trade clause that you will not trade me to the German teams or the London teams? And I'm surprised there hasn't been, and, and maybe there has been, it just hasn't been publicized, a no trade clause to the Cardinals, a no trade clause to the Texans. I, I guess if you're going to ask for a no trade clause, just ask for the whole thing. But I think for the first time ever, when you're talking about that kind of geographic shock, those kind of realities of, of playing road games, multiple away from home, being gone for two, three weeks at a time, you may see some no trade clauses specifically for the teams in Europe. Just more of the things the NFL needs to think about. Look, there's a whole list of issues and then some that the league will need to think about. And there'll be things that happened the league didn't think about. So it doesn't matter until the league's ready to do it. But boy, when the league's ready to do it, there's going to be plenty of work to do to get this right and to maintain, ultimately, the competitive balance. You don't want the teams 
that are playing in other countries to be at a disadvantage, but you also don't want to add enough, whether it's extra cap space, extra draft picks, whatever, that it creates an advantage, an unfair advantage. You want it to be equal. And I think it's hard to do that if you're talking about putting teams in other countries. But once the money is where the league wants it to be, if they think that it's going to be better financially for the league and for the teams to move or to expand with teams in Europe, they'll do it. They'll grab the money and they'll worry about the details later. Jimmy Orlovsky, if all quarterbacks are healthy on week one, who's the starting quarterback for the 49ers? I think it's Brock Purdy if he's healthy. If he's not healthy, I think it's Sam Darnold. And I think Trey Lance is just the break glass in event of emergency option, which they needed last year with Brock Purdy. You better have a good QB3 around if you're the 49ers because you never know when you're going to need him because you needed him last year. You better have a good QB4 lurking around if you're the 49ers. And you better have three of them dressed. Of all the teams out there that would be well-advised to take advantage of the new rule that allows you to have a third quarterback dressed on game day. And one of the big caveats is you have to carry three quarterbacks on your 53-man roster. Plenty of teams don't do that. But this can't be a guy that gets called up from the practice squad. It's got to be a guy that's on the 53-man roster. 49ers would be very wise to do that. But I think it will be Purdy. And if Purdy can't stay healthy for the course of the 2023 season, that's when we get into my hot take that created plenty of consternation among 49ers fans that the 49ers will be in the Kirk Cousins business next year if Purdy can't stay healthy this year. Get ready for it, folks. It's coming. That is a very viable alternative for Kyle Shanahan, even now, because look at the struggles the 49ers have had at quarterback due to their inability to stay healthy. The one thing that Kirk Cousins can do better than anyone else, other than play well at one o'clock Eastern and get paid a lot of money, it's stay healthy. And that's something the 49ers haven't had. It's something the Rams haven't had recently too. And that's why I think there's a chance that the 49ers and the Rams end up in a financial tug of war for Kirk Cousins come next March. And people may think that's crazy. That's fine. Just remember if it happens, remember where you heard it and remember how you felt when you heard it. And just try to think back to that when we get to next February or March and the planets begin to align that way. I'm not saying they will. All I'm saying is part of what we do here is we, we try to give you ideas about how things are going to unfold. This is a way of how things could unfold based upon what the Vikings do with Kirk Cousins. They can't stop him from leaving. What does he want? What's the 49ers want? What do the Rams want? Those are all relative factors, but it could come to be that we have the Rams and the 49ers trying to chase Kirk Cousins when next March rolls around. Uh, da, 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 da. There's some questions that I see. I see them show up every day. I, one of these days I'll get to them. I need to wrap this up though. Let's see what else we have here. David Mitchell, who is the player you hinted at that lost millions gambling last year? When can you elaborate? I, I, I'm not going to until I can nail it down if I ever can. I heard a name not that long ago and I started the process of trying to nail it down. And you know, I mean, how do you ever prove it? Short of getting the betting slips from the sports books who aren't going to give it to me, how do I ever prove it? Either the player admits to it or the sports books admit to it. One name I heard, I don't know, but that led to another name because that player, when asked about it, said, maybe you have me confused with a different player. So all I know is I believe completely and entirely the source that told me there is a player in the league that lost $8 million on sports betting last year or gambling generally. It, it could have been other things. 
I I don't know who it is. And until I know with certainty who it is, I, I can't say. But the name that I initially heard when I tried to nail down who it was, I wasn't able to. And it actually sent me in a different direction. And again, how do you truly ever nail that down without admission or confirmation from the player or from the sports book? And it's hard to get. The sports book's happy to rat out the players to their teams if they're betting in ways they shouldn't be betting but they're not going to provide the information about the identities of their big losers. It's, you know, it's not good for business, regardless of any legal requirements. You don't want to out your, your biggest losers. You don't want to make them feel bad. You want them to keep betting. You want all people to happily lose without any fear that they're ever going to be found out that they gamble a lot and that they're not very good at it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. J.C. Carm, which starting quarterbacks should be on notice if they have a bad year? Boy, that's one that's going to require some thought. Maybe that's one I take under advisement. Let me make a note here. And I'm actually going to use pen and paper. Hey, just pretending to write here. Which QB on notice? Maybe I'll do that tomorrow if things are slow. If bad years. I'm going to go back and read this later, and I'm going to say, what was I writing here? But which QB year? For Wednesday, if nothing else going on. Thank you. All right, let's see what else we have. Uh, NFL leads as a question. With PFT being international these days, can you shed some insights into your home state of West Virginia? It doesn't seem to have the reputation of many other states and isn't widely known for non-Americans. Hell, it isn't widely known for Americans. When I travel, and when I was in college, I worked out in California at a Chevron refinery in a co-op program. You tell people you're from West Virginia, and they say, oh, I've been to Virginia. And it's like, yeah, I have, I have been too. I don't live there. And yes, it's right next to us, but we are a separate state. I mean, I know about South Dakota, and I'm on the other side of the country. How do people who live in the United States not recognize that West Virginia is one of the 50 states? Yes, it's one of the poorer states. And yes, it gets looked down upon by other states. And that's fine. My attitude is, go ahead and think it's not beautiful here. Go ahead and think it's not awesome here. Go ahead and think it's not a great place to live. I don't want more people here. Go live somewhere else. Overpopulate other states. I don't want a bunch of people showing up here. And they're trying to make the state more attractive now. They want to eliminate personal income tax, which, by the way, I would not object to. And they're in the process of doing it. But with people working remotely now, the idea is, hey, we can get more people to come live in West Virginia because you can live anywhere. I mean, that's what I've done for 14 years with PFT as a full-time job. I've worked at home. I could live anywhere. I could live everywhere. I could have multiple houses. I could spend time here. I could spend time there. I could do this. I'm perfectly happy here. I'm perfectly content here. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to be. We have a great piece of land. Family is here, which helps. But 
they may not want me in the chamber of commerce or the tourism guy because my attitude is stay out. We don't want you. You can visit, but leave. And when you visit, make it a short one and then leave. I'd rather people not know about what it means to live here in West Virginia. Again, probably not something that would make me popular with the folks who want to increase the tax base. I don't care. I pay my taxes and I have the right to say, I don't want more people moving here. Uh, all right. Um, Aha. Neil watches PFT. See, I didn't even know the pirates are struggling now. I, I tweeted on April 23rd after the pirates had some great early season win. It's been 31 years since I've regularly followed the Pittsburgh pirates. Please don't make me start doing it now. And Neil points out, aren't you glad you didn't follow the pirates from 20 and nine to 35 and 42. I had no idea what their record is. I have not been following. I just accept the fact that they're never going to be good again in my lifetime. And it doesn't matter because I got to enjoy a World Series win. When I was 14 years old, 1979, the We Are Family Pirates with Willie Stargell and Dave Parker and Bill Maddox on third. And boy, if I sit here long enough, I can think of all the players and all the positions. Um, maybe I can't. Kent DeColvey was the reliever with that underhand sidearm throw. But I knew when they lost to the Braves in the NLCS game seven, when somehow Barry Bonds isn't able to throw out Sid Bream, who scored on se from second on a routine single, that that was it. It was done. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I feel about baseball the way I would feel about football if the Vikings had won a Super Bowl in the 70s. And you wouldn't have to deal with me. There's an alternate universe out there where the Vikings won a Super Bowl at some point before 2001, and I never ended up in this business. And you, you may from time to time pine for that universe because in that universe whoever started pft may still have their comments on i don't and i won't on that note we'll see you tomorrow for another edition of pft pm thanks as always for some of your time check us out at the new and improved profootballtalk.com and if you have any comments save them for twitter or facebook or wherever else you can express yourself have a great day longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keepitfunohio.com for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand